You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Let me tell everybody to sit down right away, because one time I had you all standing for 20 minutes. And, and a couple of things before I even get started. So you need to know that while Pastor said he wasn't going to preach, he actually did preach some of what I was going to say today. I think it's on page eight, I was telling Steve. It was actually page seven, but that's okay. I'll try to work it in. So usually when I come up, I always say thank you to the praise team because they do such a good job. And I also try to thank everybody else, the, all of the, 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 the people upstairs doing the tech, the people that are ushering and all, because it's, it's a lot of work for us to do what we need to do. But today I had something happen that is new. So during the worship service, I got caught up in the moment and I was like having so much fun worshiping, I was just caught up. It was like I wasn't going to do anything for the, you know, today. I was just going to sit down and worship the Lord and wait to hear a good message. <laughs> and then I was sitting right there and I went, oh, wait a minute, you're on today. Okay. So. You get caught up, but you know, you need to stay focused. And it actually happened twice, but the first one, it kind of took me by surprise. I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to preach later today. So some introductory thoughts. You always try to prepare. I mean, I've heard some speakers say, I didn't get anything. I didn't even prepare. I just got up here and I started speaking. And I guess that works, but that doesn't really work for me because you all have noticed that I always come up with notes, right? Now, unlike Steve, because I'm older, Steve comes up with, like, technology. <laughs> and, and he, like, runs it off the technology. If I was up here doing that, nobody would get anything out of it. So I brought notes. But a couple of things that happened while I was preparing was I noticed two things. One was it was a year to the day since the last time I preached here. Last time was August 14th, 2022. And if you remember, my sermon was, if, then, therefore. Remember that? Yeah, I tortured you all for a while with big words and the dialectic and the syllogisms and all of that. I went home and Essie was like, yo, don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, they got it. I got a couple of nice comments afterwards where folk were saying, wow, I got that and what have you. But what I spoke about was the dialectic process, the dialectic process, which is how you establish truth. It's a technique for reasoning. And it kind of goes, if this, then therefore. So if X, Y, Z, then that produces A, B, C logically. And I used it in a few different ways. We talked about, well, where in the Bible did it come up? Because we tend to think about others as they're smart and all, all we have is faith. But the reality is, is our faith outdoes everything that they know. So we talked about that God has used the dialectic process, Jesus and Paul and Solomon in the Old Testament. We talked a little bit about some of the philosophers, Aristotle and Plato and whatnot, how they kind of developed and implemented the whole dialectic reasoning process. And I had mentioned that even Satan tried to bastardize it. When he was tempting Jesus, he tried to say, well, if you're the son of God, then therefore. But what he was really doing was to undo truth because Jesus came to fulfill what God had said the way he said to do it. 
So Satan was trying to pervert it. And during the sermon, if you remember, I found some 28 different if-then-therefore statements. 28. And they all came between John 12, verse 24, and John 16, verse 14. 28 different if-then-therefores. And at the end of that sermon, what I said was, as you know, we don't have really enough time to spend delving into each one, but I suggested to everybody, go back and read them yourself. Get some enlightenment. You'll, you'll find that these were really kind of amazing statements. So again, I, I point them out. John 12, verse 24, to John 16, verse 14. There's a whole bunch of if-then-therefores, what Christ was saying about the truth. So we're going to shift gears now. I'm not going to talk about my last sermon anymore, although I enjoyed it. But So today what we're going to do is talk about, and we'll pick up kind of where we left off at before, talking more about Jesus and the truth. So if you look at it, each of the four gospel writers had a slightly different perspective on Jesus. Matthew, for example, in his writings, probably because he was essentially writing to Israel, the Jews, he depicted, depicted, he depicted Jesus as Messiah. Mark's perspective of Jesus was that he was a servant. Luke touted Jesus as the son of man. And John, what we're going to be talking about today, saw Jesus as the son of God. So our sermon today is going to be called Jesus and John, because what we'll be doing is once again going back into John to talk about what Jesus did and or said. So if you look at chapter 17 in John, what you see is what's commonly known as Jesus' high priestly prayer, his high priestly prayer. What Jesus was doing was as God's son and therefore servant, he was speaking directly to his father and he was doing that on our behalf. The picture that's given in John 17 is that Jesus is our godly priest, God, God's son, and man as a priest. And John 17, 1 begins saying this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, and I'm going to stop there, and it's probably going to annoy Pastor Bill because it's ellipsis when you go dot, dot, dot. See, I'm doing a grammar thing again. I can't help myself because I was a lit major. And it's like, and said, Father, dot, dot, dot. So we're going to pause right there and pick up. And, well, what were the words that he spoke before we got to the high priestly prayer? Now, last week, Steve did something that I really appreciated. And what it is is whenever you find something in the Bible that's like a major point, what you want to do is not just pick up and read from there going forward. You kind of want to look backwards and see, well, how did we get to this point of this major thing that's being said, this major revelation? Steve did it last week, so this week we'll do it again for a hot minute. So what were the these words spoken that Jesus spoke before he uttered the high priestly prayer? I went back to chapter 15 and 16. I found four things in 15 and a few in 16. And this is what I found in terms of what he had said. In verse 26, he said, I will send you the helper, 
being the Holy Spirit, from the Father. He also went on in that same verse and said, He is the Spirit of truth, and He, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness about me, Jesus. In verse 27, he said, you also will bear witness. So it's not just going to be just the Holy Spirit doing things. There's work for us to do. We would also, talking to them then, but us now, bear witness. In chapter 16, there were a number of things that Jesus said. He said, I have said these things, in other words, I have taught you to keep you from falling away. In verse 3, he says, you will be persecuted because they have not known either the Father or me. In verse 5, he said, I am going to him who sent me. In verse 7, he says, it is to your advantage that I go. It's not like nice. It's not like okay. It's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, the helper or the Holy Spirit won't come. But I am going to go and I'm going to send him. In verse 9, he said, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Verse 13, he said, the helper, who is the spirit of truth, will guide you into all truth. He also said that he's going to speak whatever he hears. Because sometimes we don't necessarily think about it, but God is communicating all the time. And the Holy Spirit is God and is there as is Jesus. And they communicate with one another. And what he said here is that the Holy Spirit is going to be telling you what he hears, which is truth. Verse 14, he said that he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. In verse 20, he said, you will weep and lament when I go, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sad, but they'll be thinking they accomplished something. They did something. However, he also said, your sorrow will turn to joy. In verse 22, he said, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. In verse 23, he said, ask of the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. In verse 27, he said, the Father himself loves you. I'll say that again. The Father himself loves you. And why is that? Because you have loved me, he told them, and because you have believed that I have come from God. Verse 32, he said, the hour is coming when you will scatter, but I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And in verse 33, he said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So those were some of the things he said before he entered into the high priestly prayer. So let's take a look at that. John 17, verses 1 to 11. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. These words that we just went over. Lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I want to say that again. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you gave me, that you have given me, is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the whole world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And finally, in verse 11, he says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So, in this high priestly prayer, what we see is that Jesus makes a number of affirmations. Again, remember, he's talking about us to his Father. He's praying to Father about us. So, he makes a number of affirmations. First one is, well, the time has come and my work here is done. He also affirms, glorify me, Father, that I may glorify you. He says to the Father, you have given me authority over all flesh and humanity and the authority to give eternal life to those who you have given to me. He says, eternal life is knowing you, Father, the only true God, and is also knowing me, Christ, who you sent. He said to the Father, I have accomplished the work you sent me to do, and now I am returning to you to be glorified in your presence in the way and relationship we had before the cosmos was established. So Frank and I have a thing. This is where I'm going to do a quick thing on cosmos. And, and the word cosmos, basically, I looked it up because I'm into astronomy a little bit. Not enough that, you know, I know a lot, but at least I get to talk about it like I kind of know something. And, and the word cosmos, when I looked it up, it comes from the Greek, and it says it means an orderly, harmonious, systematic universe. I was kind of surprised when I saw that definition. The cosmos is an orderly, harmonious, systematic universe. And Jesus is saying to the Father, I can't wait to get back so we can have the relationship that we had before this cosmos was existing. Think about that. They were together doing stuff before they created this that we now get to experience. He made a few more affirmations. Those you gave me have kept your word. He also said, they know that all I have and am, all I have and am is from you. That they, his followers, believe that you sent me, Father, and I am praying for them. He wasn't praying for the whole world. He was praying for those that God had given him that would be followers. 
He affirmed to the Father that all that I have, all mine is yours, and all of yours is mine. He said that he is glorified in them, being he gets glorified in us. When we are appropriately loving God and loving each other and doing his work, etc., then we're glorifying him. And he said, they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Father. But he also made a request in the midst of all of these affirmations. He said, Father, keep them in your name, that they may be one, even as we are one. Because, if you think about it, love creates unity, and unity creates harmony, and that's what he wants us to be about, in a harmonious relationship with him as our Savior, with the Holy Spirit as our guide, with God the Father as our Father, and then with one another, which, again, Pastor Bill kind of took that out of my notes, but that's, I'll probably say it again anyway, but... So if we're talking about harmony, let's look about, talk about a minute for the other side. We'll talk about judgment and justification. So in Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 18, it reads, But the free gift of God, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Now, we all know we're talking about Adam, right? The one man's sin that produced what we're living in in the midst of now. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man, Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So what are the points that Paul makes? First is that all died spiritually because of Adam's costly trespass. God is holy and pure, and he, on one level, cannot refuse us to dwell intimately with sin. He loves us, so he therefore deals with us, but it's not like he's going to be doing that, dealing with this type of life forever. Second point he makes is that judgment, judgment followed the trespass and brought condemnation. So if you're not doing what God wants you to do, and it's not like we don't, what I'm saying is, is that it's not like we don't all make mistakes. I'm not talking about that. So you don't need to walk out, oh, I made a mistake yesterday, and so now like, I'm done forever. But trespasses where we are just intentionally and willfully not doing what God says brings condemnation. Paul also said that the gift of God's grace was manifested in Jesus, and for us, it was free. Now, keep in mind, it was very costly for Christ. It literally cost him his life. And I don't know 
that, that I would have been able to do that. If, I, if I'm playing basketball, I don't play anymore, but when I was playing basketball, if I sprained my ankle, it was tragic. Oh, my ankle, I can't stand it. Imagine that Jesus willingly subjected himself to torture overnight. This wasn't like he sprained his ankle and then, you know, they gave him some ice and, and then hung him on the cross. This was like they tortured him overnight. So the grace that we now get to experience as a free gift was very costly to him. But Jesus lived a life of righteousness, and the righteous life that he lived should be manifested in us. So how should we live? If Christ is our example, he lived a righteous life, he taught us so we wouldn't fall away, what should we be doing? How should we be living? Well, Micah tells us in chapter 6, verse 8, and this was written around 698 B.C. God tells us what is good and required. This is what's good. This is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. God says that we should do justice, that we should love kindness. We should manifest love toward one another. And we should walk humbly with God. Not a long list. Not easy to do, but... This is what God wants. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Thank you, Pastor. That what we're supposed to do is to love God and to love our fellow man because these two commandments become the foundation of all the law and the prophets. And he did this in... It was interesting the way Pastor Bill put it, but he did this after, he said this after he had silenced the Sadducees. Okay, there was different sects, if you will, different denominations is one way to look at it. And after he had shut the Sadducees up who didn't believe in life after death, then the Pharisees came. Oh yeah, well, what about this and what about that? And the bottom line is he said, yeah, love. Love is what is the foundation of everything that the Bible talks about. Jesus also again tells us how he wants us to live. This is what God expects us to be doing in Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. He says that we should take authority over demons and demonic activity. We should proclaim God's kingdom. And we should do things that promote healing in others. Healing. So we are body, soul, and spirit, which means that we should be working to heal our brothers and sisters, all those we encounter, either physically or emotionally or spiritually. So that's good. What is God saying to us right now, though? What is it that he's trying, the message that he's trying to get across? Well, the first thing is that abiding in Jesus' word and example is truth and freedom. Abiding in Jesus, what he taught, what he did, how he lived, if we abide in him, that is truth, and that becomes our freedom. So to do that, what he wants us to do is to pray and meditate so that we hear from him. How can you do with some, something that someone wants if you don't know, A, the person, or B, what it is that they want? You need to communicate with them. So one of the things that he wants us to do is to pray and meditate. He wants us to do good works and demonstrate love for him 
as well as love for others. And he wants us to be present in each moment, present in the moment. So what do I mean? We have a habit, we have a, 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 a proclivity, if you will, to dwell on stuff from the past. This is something that I did good, so I want to continue doing this thing because it worked out in the past, so I'm going to keep on doing it. Or the other side of that coin, this is something I did bad, so that was messed up and I shouldn't have done it, so I feel guilty about it, so I'm going to keep on going over that and playing that back over and over and over again in my head because maybe if I beat myself down enough, then I'll not do it again in the future. But the reality is, just think about Paul. Paul didn't do that. Paul literally was running around having Christians arrested. He stood there to watch while they killed one, held everybody's joke. Yeah, let me, let me, let me hold your coat while you beat him to death. You know? That's what Paul was doing. Yet the same Paul wrote, what, two-thirds of the New Testament? Two-thirds. The guy who had a whole lot that he needed to be sorrowful over. So God doesn't want us to dwell in the past. He wants us to live in the moment. But while he wants us to have hope, he also doesn't want us to dwell now in the future. The bottom line is that, yeah, we have hopes and we have aspirations, and we should always be consistently working to bring about God's plan and God's will for our lives, but we shouldn't be living in the future. Because if I'm so far over here, I'm thinking about something and what I'm going to do next week and what I want to do with this person, that person, the other person, the bottom line is there's somebody standing right in front of me right here right now that needs me. But I'm not being present to them because I'm either dwelling in the past, something I did or didn't do, something I did really well, so I think I'm all of that, or I'm looking forward to the future. But he wants us to dwell in the moment. And he says, I tell you the truth. So you go and proclaim the truth as well. He tells us the truth. He wants us to tell others. Because remember, abiding in Jesus' word and example is truth and freedom. Second thing he wants from us is to read his word. Now, I used to go to Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I remember Pastor Simbler, and this was when I was starting to get real more serious about being a Christian, and I remember he said, and I don't have my Bible here, because otherwise I'd act it out, but he said, you know, there's nothing like picking up your Bible and just sitting down with it and reading. You have to just pick it up and sit and read. And it was from that moment kind of going forward that I got a bit more serious about my Bible study. But he says, God said, in terms of what he wants from us, is to read his word, his logos, his written revelation. And he wants us to do that because he wants us to learn of him. He wants us to hear from him. We won't do a show of hands, but how many times have you been reading the Bible and was like, oh, thank you for that answer. It's like right here on this page. Okay, so he wants us to hear from him. He wants us to be enlightened by him and he wants us to be blessed by him. Remember, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and the good shepherd. And he's also one with God. So if we sit down and read his word, then we can become closer, more one with God. God also says, I will guide you daily. Daily, I will guide you moment by moment. If he wants us to live in the moment, He's going to guide us moment by moment. So he says he wants us to trust him. He wants us to submit to him. 
and he wants us to do this even when things aren't looking good, when things aren't going well, when it's not going the way you think it should, when it's kind of really, you know, it doesn't need to be like this. I mean, I don't think God wants this to be what's happening forever. But we still have to trust him. Because remember, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's not like you might have tribulation. If you're good enough, you won't have to go through stuff. That's not what he says. What he says is, you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world, and trust me. Moment by moment. Here's a, here's a quick thing. So I was telling Steve this morning, for the last two, three weeks, I have been on this whirlwind. It's been like crazy. Essie has, I'm going to bust you now. Essie has actually been saying to me, Man, you're doing too much. You're wearing yourself down. Why are you doing this? And you need to, am I lying? Okay. Why are you doing this much? And it was kind of like, well, because I, see, I got a plate. I have a plate. Tim knows this story. I had a plate one time, in a, theory, a, a spiritual plate. And I said, oh, Lord, I know that you have things for me to do and and my plate is so full, and just tell me what you want me to take off the plate so I can begin to do the things that you want. And his response was, I didn't tell you to take anything off your plate. As a matter of fact, I got more things for you to do. So I was like, oh, okay, so can I have a bigger plate then? Because I need to put more stuff on it, obviously. And what I was sharing with Steve is that for the last, I, I learned this about two years ago, but for the last couple of weeks, it's been so much that I've been doing, literally, to get to the point of this sermon today. A week and a half ago, I said, Lord, so, look at this expression, so, which means that I'm not really thinking so, so, Father, uh, am I going to be able to do all of this? I got travel, I have to travel for my friend that's sick, I got work that I'm doing, you know, consulting stuff, and I got my job, I have my family, there's all this stuff I have to do. But what I had learned was whenever it gets like that, where I feel like I'm carrying so much, it's like, oh, I don't know if I can make it. That's when I say, okay, Lord, so since you gave me a bigger plate and you're not taking nothing off, what is it that you want me to do? And I've learned this to do a, a moment by moment thing. Okay, so it's like, okay, so here's the eight things that I need to do. So Lord, literally I say, which do you want me to do first? And he tells me. And then I say, okay, which one do you want me to do next? And he tells me. And I go through the whole day or through the week or through the whatever, and I'm able to accomplish more than I ever thought I could. So literally a week and a half ago, I'm praying, Lord, am I going to be able to do all of this? And he said, yeah, you'll be able to do it. And I was mentioning to Steve this morning that yesterday, the Friday, because today's Sunday, Friday, I got to the point where, oh, wow, I am going to be able to pull all of this off. I did the business. I did the training. I did my job. I dealt with my family. I didn't do too much household work, but I did all this other stuff that I had to do. And it felt on Friday, for some reason in my head, it was like I was preaching Saturday. So I literally, just by going moment by moment, what now, Lord, what now, Lord, it was like I gained the whole day. That's the best way that I could describe it. So we can trust him. We could trust him with everything that we're doing. We could trust him with everything that we're going through. And the last thing that he said was to commit to my service. 
commit to my service. He wants us to abide in Jesus' word and example. He wants us to read his word. He wants us to trust him because he's going to guide us daily and moment by moment. And then commit to his service. So what do I mean by that? So you know how you have conversations with God, what I would do and how I want things to be and hope, how I hope to be in the future, blah, 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 all of that. Well, I remember one time I was having a conversation with him and he said, well, it's good that you're willing to die for me. It's good that you're willing to die for me, but just live for me. You don't have to do anything fancy. There's, there's, there's a list of stuff that we could do, but the bottom line is if we're living moment by moment, trusting in him, we'll be living for him. And that's ultimately what it is that he wants. So in the way of a conclusion, Jesus said in Matthew 5:17 that I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. In Luke 24, 44, he said, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And in John 5, so we're going back to John again, John 5, 39, he says, the scriptures bear witness about me. So, a couple of years ago, I read this verse about the law of Moses, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So I said, oh, oh, I think I'll go back and read them. It's not like I haven't read the Bible a few times already, but I'm going to go back and read them to see what it says about Jesus. And when I did that, I found over 1,000 references to Christ in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And it's really 1,000 and counting. If I do the numbers, if I were to show you my notes, because I love doing notes, but if I were to show you my notes, you would see 900 plus another 100 and change, because as I continue reading the Bible, it's like, oh, I didn't see this one before. Here's another one. Let me write that down. Oh, I didn't see this one before. Oh, here's another one. Let me write that down. But in truth, it's not about how much we know. It's not about how much information we have. It's not about how many times we could say, I see Jesus in here, or I, 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 I know what God wants me. It's all about relationship. What God wants from us is relationship. He wants us to trust him. He wants our righteousness not to be self-righteousness, but to be based in the faith that we have and the trust that we have in him and in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the bottom line is we have homework to do. All of us have homework. For those of you college students, you all know what homework is all about. Some of us are like so old, we forgot what homework is. <laughs> we, we, we kind of forgot how torturous it felt. So we, we kind of feel your pain. That's why we relate to you, because you keep us young and you help us to always remember. But we all have homework. So if you're a believer and you already know him, then our homework, our job, is to seek to know and serve him even more. You already have a relationship. You already know him. So the question is, is how can I have a deeper, more meaningful, more loving relationship with him? And for those that don't know him, then I would suggest that you open your mind and your heart to him so that way you can experience his love and grace. And I don't know of anyone that honestly from their head and heart said, I want to know you more. I want to know you, God. 
I, I, I don't know what's going on, but at least I, I, I'm open to you teaching me where God ever turns them away. He just doesn't do that. Why? Because he loves us. And quite frankly, for you to even get to the point of saying, I want to know more, it's because the Holy Spirit is drawing you in the first place. It's all about the love and relationship. If you don't know him yet, he will not let you down. He loves you beyond measure. And whether you know him already or not, he wants to spend eternity with you. So eternity. So I'm going to do my astrological thing one more time. So they existed before they created the universe. They were eternally existent before. We now live in time and space. And this is going to wrap up and then we're going to move into eternity. And that's where he wants to be with us in eternity. Jesus said earlier that I'm looking to restore the relationship that I had with you before the cosmos was created. And he's looking to have that relationship and they want to have that relationship with us. So throughout the scriptures, Jesus is depicted as, as a stone, as a rock. You see it in Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118, 22, and Matthew 21, 42. And Jesus there is depicted in all of these as the stumbling stone, as a rock of offense, as the cornerstone, and as the foundation of Zion, which is God's kingdom. So those who believe in him are not going to be put to shame. That's who he is. He's the foundation of all. He is the fulfillment of the scriptures. There's nothing that... It's a whole other sermon to talk about. Yeah, okay, so they had a relationship before, but this universe is, what, 14 point something billion years old? Yeah, he, Jesus is the one that created it. He, like, is the master builder. He built it, okay? So we don't have to be shamed. We should be encouraged. So I encourage you, in closing, to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because through confession, we get salvation. It leads to salvation. And through belief or faith, we get justification, which is our right standing before God. God wants to spend eternity with you. There's nothing that he wouldn't do for you. There's nothing that you go through that he doesn't know about. There's nothing that you go through that he doesn't care about. The problem is, is in this world, we will have tribulation, but we should trust in him because Jesus overcame the world. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we just thank you for all the things that you blessed us with, Lord. We are your sons and daughters. We each have many roles that we play in terms of family and friends and work and what have you. And we're here to serve, even as you serve Jesus. So we ask that you help us to yield our minds and our bodies and our wills to you so that you could fill us with your wisdom, grace, and power. We love you, Lord. We love the fact that you love us. Help us to love you more effectively 
Help us to love one another more fervently. And help us as we're doing this work, Lord, to always be mindful of the fact that you submitted to the Father to be able to fulfill your purpose. Help us to submit to the Father and to you through the Spirit's guidance as well. Thank you so much for what you're doing. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunities that you create for us to serve you. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be diligent. Help us to do our homework. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.